What's up, everyone? This is the Concrete Conservative Hour, 6 o'clock. This is yours truly, Mac on the Rock, the Rampage. You can always go to my YouTube channel, Mac on the Rock Rampage, to see videos I put together. Usually, uh, they're edited from TV news stories. Occasionally, they're just thought-provoking. Probably two or three hundred of them. Today, uh, we're going to have a guest calling... Should be any minute now, considering it's about 6 o'clock. That could happen. And uh, activist groups, you know, who are always calling the concrete conservative, they uh, are fighting for this country as hard as they can. Uh, today, this is as hard as it gets. One moment, please. Yes, you're listening to WSQF 94.5, the concrete conservative. Yours truly, Mac. Who do I have a pleasure to speak with? Hi, Max. This is Morgan Zegers from Young Americans Against Socialism. Oh, boy. And, you, and uh, your your caller ID comes from Al- Albany, New York. Yes, I'm from upstate. I'm by the Saratoga Battlefield, actually. Wow, yes. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, you're definitely uh, fighting socialism from the north and from the south because you got it in Manhattan and then you have it up in Canada. So you're doing uh, a layman's work today. Yeah, quarantine feels a lot like tyranny, and America right now is living the life of what us here in South Florida understand to be Cuba, you know, stuff missing on the shelves, quarantined, uh, you have to ask for permission to go into the supermarket, you have to wear something, uh, you don't really believe uh, the authorities, all that is sy- symptoms of symptomatic communism feelings, and uh, here in South Florida... I say this all the time. I associate it with Sarah Palin when she said, I see Russia from my window. Everybody here in South Florida kind of understood what she meant because we see Havana from our window here in Miami, Florida. You're speaking here in Key Biscayne. I don't know if you know that Key Biscayne was Richard Nixon's uh, Winter White House, so we've been a Republican for quite some time, although today we found out recently through the Key Biscayne Republican Party that independents were larger than the other two. So, the other two parties. So, Tell me what's on your agenda up in New York, and how how broad and you know how broad is your reach? Well, for us, Young Americans Against Socialism, we've been a five hundred one c three nonprofit. We started in uh, August twenty nineteen, and actually, when I went to Miami, when I went to Florida, and I met with the Cuban community. It was just wonderful when they heard what we were doing. What we do is we film the stories of people who have lived through socialism, and we put them into social media videos for our generation to learn from. And I do it because. Uh, really to push their narrative and to really make the case for socialism, the left has to lie. They have to reject basic facts, basic history, basic economics. And in, in order to avoid this mess that they create, really we have to put out something that is just undeniable truth. And I think there's nothing more undeniable and truthful than the firsthand testimony from survivors of socialism. So we like to put these videos out on the social media where 90% of people our age have an account. So far, we've posted videos. I mean, somebody from Cuba, Ray Armas, I don't know if you've heard of him, he windsurfed from Cuba to the Florida Keys. His video with us got seen 10 million times. So this is really a wonderful thing we're building. We're trying to show our generation how dangerous this ideology can be, and we're seeing it firsthand, especially with the tyranny that's come from COVID-19. So we hope to keep growing and making even more videos. Yeah, and I hope I hope that uh, the poor decisions on behalf of the liberal states and their governors 
gets the people to actually turn on him for once, especially in California and hopefully in New York. Um, your governor is not up for re-election this time around. He's uh, he's up for re-election in a couple of years, correct? Yeah, so he, he's in the off cycle, um, but don't worry, we'll go for him. The hard thing is it's, it's just really difficult to be a conservative in New York State, no matter what. If the, the Republican candidate could win all of New York State, except for those five tiny little counties at the bottom in New York City, and the Democrat will still win. So it is a really frustrating situation for New York GOP members. But at the same time, I think that eye-opening situations like the Dems' response to COVID-19 is going to be, like I said, eye-opening, and it's going to show people what it's like to be affected. I think a really good point, I don't know if you've heard this before, but a lot of older Americans say that young Americans support socialism and communism so much because we've never personally been affected by it. Well, I would counter that and say now COVID-19 is the first time we've ever been truly impacted by socialism and communism. And by that, I mean the lies from the Chinese Communist Party and we're seeing firsthand the tyrannical rule and what it really means for a government to have such a thumb on your head constantly. Yeah, and I would also add to what I said earlier, you know, uh, I don't know if you've witnessed this personally, but uh, we witnessed it down here, empty shelves in the supermarket that used to be packed, and now you have to grab what you can. Uh, definitely, uh, you've heard the toilet paper issue where there's no toilet paper, and that overreaction was pretty stupid, but... We're literally seeing major stores having supply chain problems, and Cubans have been living with supply chain problems for 60 years where there's just nothing on the shelf. I'll give you a little story of of a self-employment story I had back when I was in my 20s. I was a paying contractor. So uh, when I would have a bigger job, uh, I would have my regular employees that uh, I knew were, uh, were insurable, they were legal, they were everything. I didn't have a problem. But when I would take on a big job, oftentimes... In the middle of the night, I would literally pick up three or four guys off the street uh, in, in a, on a specific corner on 8th Street. And it was usually 4 or 5 in the morning because the job was up in, in another county or deep in the Keys or just a, a commute, right? And I would, and I would you know, give them a, a brush to hold. And I would ask them to just draw a line with paint. And I didn't care where they drew it on my pickup truck because it was an old clunker anyway. And it had paint marks everywhere. But I was looking for that straight line. Well, um, I would hire them, and then I would take them out to lunch, at, you know, usually at a deli at a Winn-Dixie, right? Well, there's one particular case that completely floored me. Well, I'm at the deli, I'm going to order food, and I turn around, and I get them their sandwiches and stuff, and I turn around, and I notice that their cargo pants, you know, the big pocket pants, they're, you know, you know raggedy pocket pants, so they definitely looked old and all, but, their man, their pockets were full, right? And I looked at them, and I told them very sincerely, hey, man, you know, you can't do that here. There's cameras everywhere. You're shoplifting. Why are your pockets so full? And they go, no way, really, in Spanish. No way, really? He goes, no, you can't do that. You can't. They'll stop you at the door. You'll be arrested. Why are you doing that? Because we're so embarrassed. We arrived last night from Cuba, and you always packed your pockets at the supermarket because there was going to be no merchandise tomorrow. We thought today was like the delivery day. I go, no, man. No, these supermarkets are like this every day. Every day. And they they had arrived the night before, so they didn't have any experience inside a supermarket. So if Americans can understand that some people just don't have what we have, well, you're reminded right now during this virus that the that the that the government can take a lot of your rights away and your basic necessities can be necessities can be denied. 
So is there anything, uh, you know, the, uh, let the audience know, is there anything they should, you know, look for on, is it, on, I'm assuming, YouTube or, or your home site? Oh, yeah, we have our website, which is fightsocialism.org, and that's where we're uh, posting our videos, and we're also, this is exciting, we're developing a coalition where we're going to have rapid response to current events. So, for example, Bernie Sanders, he said, red lines are a good thing. We immediately put a video up of our friend Daniel DiMartino, who escaped from uh, Venezuela. He says, uh-uh, I waited in those bread lines before, and I can tell you what, they're not a good thing. And so that's what we're hoping to develop, and we're also developing a contributor section with written content. And so it's just really great. If you have a young person in your life and they might be leaning to the left or they're falling for the lies of the left, definitely send them to our social media, Young Americans Against Socialism, or our website, fightsocialism.org. We also have a YouTube. So any of those places are a great resource for people to show the young people in their lives who might be falling for those dangerous lies of the left. And thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it, it's really incredible, but I want to ask you a couple little detailed nuances on how you concoct yeah. uh, you concoct the videos. Is it something that you hear through a network, or your friends tell you, or people log onto your site and tell you, "I need you to come down here and check out the video." If there's a kid that has a story to tell, because my God, here in Miami we have windsurfers that were born in the states to Cuban parents who have windsurfed to Cuba to to demonstrate that they could do the opposite trek as well, and yeah. and they've done that. So these kind of stories, they what they go to your website and submit some kind of storyline and then you come and film it or how does that work? Yeah, we have a, a section on our website where people can submit their stories and have a more formal process, but pretty much I go out, I speak at a lot of events, and people from the crowds will come up and explain that they've actually come from a socialist country and they want to tell their story. It's a really uncomfortable thing to, like, get on camera and, and sit there and tell your whole emotional life story. Nobody can naturally do that, and I don't blame anybody at all, so we really work to make them feel comfortable. Peer-to-peer -peer communication and studies has been shown to be the most effective way to get a young person to change their mind, and so talking in a casual form explaining what happened. One of our most successful videos, he talks about how he had long hair in Cuba and he listened to the Beatles. He listened to rock and roll. And that really upset the regime there because it reminded Yeah, they knocked on the door for sure. They style. take his music. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so a rock and roll, it reminded them of the evil imperialist Americans, and so he was beaten by police. It's those tiny little details that really open the eyes of young Americans who have just never had to imagine or visualize a terrible lifestyle before. And so what happened, actually, is the more videos we initially did with people just reaching out on social media, then we started to get their friends who were from the same country who would just come over. And then it just grew into a network. So now we just hired this really awesome girl, Maria, who escaped Venezuela, and she's our coalition leader where she brings in the voices of people who have survived. She listens to their story. We listen to it together. And then we work to develop what details from their life could make the most impactful uh, lesson for young Americans to learn. Yes. And do uh, you hear, I hear Venezuelan talked about a lot, which is, you know, fairly recent, but it's not as uh, tyrannical as what the Cubans went through, where they actually was illegal to leave the country and escaping really meant clandestine escape on a rickety boat or a, a craft you created or converting a... Uh, you familiar with the aquanauts, the cars that were retrofitted to, uh, to to float and then drive to the United States? Have you ever heard about those stories? I've heard of them, but I've never... We've never told a story about somebody with that. So if you know anybody, please connect me because that would be really powerful. And with, that brings up a good point, actually. We did a really great video with... Um, somebody who was a Democrat. They were on the left. They voted for Obama. They voted for Hillary. They campaigned, I think, for Obama and Hillary, too. And now he is he's not been red-pilled, but instead he, he saw his party 
turn around and embrace the same dangerous ideas that led to the death of his grandfather who died in uh, Castro. Yeah, and the gulags, uh, the firing squads. Yeah, and so what, what they said is, oh, you know, he fell off of he fell off of a wall, is what they told him. <laughs> and so, you know, that's what happens when you end up in Che Guevara and Fidel Castro's gulag. But basically, he came to America, supported the Democrats, thinking, oh, this is the party of the working class. Well, how, yeah, may I interrupt? How, how old was he? completely embraced the opposite ideas. Let me ask, uh, sometimes I understand the, the origins of those, uh, you know, political philosophies. How old was he when you met him? Um, I think now he's 30 or so, but uh, he was much younger when he supported the Obama. Okay, you know what his problem was? Uh, and this is a big uh, subset of cultures in Cuba compared to my parents who left in, in 1960 and 61. Uh, it was all Republican, and we were a solid Republican, and we used to win the state of Florida for Republicans because what you said earlier about the, the, those small county, those large counties on the, uh, in, around Manhattan suburbs, well, we had that here in Miami-Dade County. You couldn't really win governorship in Florida or the president if you didn't win Dade County. And that's why the Republicans won in Florida for so so long. But then came the exception. And this is why this guy, this 30-year-old, was voting for a Democrat, because the very shrewd Bill Clinton is the one who marshaled in, advocated for the wet foot, dry foot policy in 1994. And I believe it was signed in 94 or signed in 96. But by doing the wet foot, dry foot, he basically created a rugby a rugby style game where you have to spike the ball or you have to touch down on physical dirt to become a citizen of the United States if you're Cuban you had to come in a in a boat and get to land if you if they found you already on land you got to stay and if they found you out at sea they would they would send you back and most likely they would just take you right back to the Havana Harbor or Matanzas Harbor or Guantanamo in a best case scenario because that would be American territory again so what happens is uh Something called La Yuma. La Yuma is United State of America in, in, in diction, in Spanish diction. And it's spelled Y-U-M-A. And it's, it's R-U-S-A, but for them it's Y-U-M-A. And they associated Bill Clinton with uh, the Democratic Party, and they had a tendency to vote Democrat when they got here because it was the party of Bill. And some of that still is happening because of Obama's visit to Cuba. So you have... You have uh, uh, a percentage of Cubans in uh, the very industrial working class town of Hialeah, the, the city of Hialeah, which is a big portion of Miami-Dade County, who, um, sadly to say, uh, vote and, and admire, they admired Barack Obama. There, there have been cases where, uh, you know, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama both won Dade County, right? So on the, on the backs of Hialeah, uh, the, the county of Hialeah, in fact, there's one little commie girl I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, but she wears the fatigues, the Che Guevara patches, and she's ru- and she's running for Congress against Mario Diaz Balart, who's the incumbent. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen that. Now we're oh, hoping a lot of the young Republicans and a lot of the young conservatives from the Miami area—they just seem like such great leaders for the future. I'm really excited for your area. Yeah, I think uh, I think though I think the yin and the yang takes a role now, and I believe uh, Cubans. Uh, like for instance, there the young Cuban, a young Cuban guy named uh, Tony Atayola, he's the one who organized the Trump uh, caravan that went down A Street about a couple months ago before the before the virus. I don't know if it hit your news up there, but you know we had the caravan, the Trump waving flags down down A Street all the way to downtown, and that was a young Cuban man who was who came uh, to do pot, you know, came to Miami and, and very popular podcaster. 
And he organized that rally, and guess what? Everybody joined in, some like 200 cars, two or 300 you know, pickup trucks and, and cars just beeping their horns with Trump flags and uh, we love America kind of stuff. So, yeah, that hope uh, resonates really well. Now, uh, do, you, do you have like uh, an expanded Cuban community in the area of New Jersey that you hear about in your news, or do you have something similar in upstate New York? Because you, def- you definitely mentioned there's – Seems like there's a group of Latins up there. Are there Cubans uh, settling up in North, upstate New York, or is it all around Manhattan? I would say it's still more in the New York City area. I'm like three hours north of the city, and so it's a little tough for me. Usually I'm on the road 24-7, traveling, filming, and so coronavirus has definitely impacted that. But the team right now, we're trying to make sure that we have everybody's locations. We have a lot of really exciting stories that we're going to go film probably in the next month in New York City, and uh, most of them are Cuban is what I would say. Um, what we're trying to do, too, is, is a lot of them end up being Venezuelan, but we're trying to get more and more young people who have experienced socialism and communism in order to better convey that peer-to-peer communication, because that's what really changes people's minds. And so, like you said, on top of that, it's also concerning, because when we interview older people who have escaped socialism, they're even worried that their children who haven't experienced it firsthand before are going to end up voting for socialists and falling for those lives. So it really is fascinating. It's almost like a human nature study to experience that people who are one generation away from such atrocities are now willing to embrace the same ideas because, again, the utopian promises of the left are so enticing. It's like the siren of uh, the city. Yeah, it's it's, it's really, it's really uh, amazing how... You cut corners and you have, you you cut four corners and what the result is a stop sign and when you realize oh my god I put a stop to myself I actually voted myself out of existence and Reagan always said we were President Reagan we're one generation from you know from losing our democracy and yes Cuban parents uh, especially my age group I'm 55 so we have the problem where we're liberalism in this country, the way we were, the you know, the way, not so much that we're taught, because I'm admitting I was taught something, but the whole symbiosis in America was to be your children's friend first and then your parents second. And my parents were my parents first and my parents second. They had no intentions of being my friend, right? So my generation has a tendency to want to be their children's friend and not the disciplinarian, not the parent, and not the guardian. So... I can assure you that my parents uh, didn't, have, didn't have to worry about me being conservative, but I have to worry about my kids staying conservative because I work very hard to, to get them to understand these things because freedom is so, it's like a ghost of well-being, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's just a sense of well-being that's very easily taken for granted. So if I may ask, what, what is the age group that you mostly work with? Uh, pretty much millennials and Gen Z are who we're targeting, and so we're open to interviewing anybody. The video next week that we're coming out with is a woman from Laos, so communist Laos. She's in her 70s at least, I think, and so um, it's, everybody has their own story. It's more about the content of the story and the lessons that they're saying. Um, but we really are trying to target millennials and Gen Z. I don't know if you've seen the study from Victims of Communism, but one-third of millennials currently favor communism. Yes, I've heard that before. Seventy percent of young Americans would vote for a socialist, but what I always say in my speeches, what I always say, especially to older crowds who are really worried about my generation, uh, like ruining the country, I say the problem here is definition. The problem here is the distortion of words and narrative. It's not the fact that my generation wants socialism, because my generation does not understand what it means to seize the means of production or nationalize industry or have the government take over private business. What they 
that'll make us like happy land in Nordic Europe where everybody gets free everything. If you ask them, they're probably deep down very capitalist, but the left has been incredibly successful at distorting what capitalism means and making it seem as if capitalism is more uh, or is less moral than socialism. And yeah, they want to make sure that your viewers are aware of the one specific situation. They're really distorting what it means to be free. And you mentioned what, how freedom is really fragile. The problem is that even when we argue about freedom, we're not arguing on the same level as the left anymore. They're talking about something completely different because they've changed what freedom and being free means to young Americans. There's a Bernie Sanders campaign video that he posted before he dropped out, obviously. And it basically, it's a young, young people that come up in a row on the camera and they go, am I free? What is freedom? Am I free if I have student loan debt? Am I free if I have high health care costs? Am I really free if I only work my dead-end job to get health care insurance? And the video follows up with, no, you're not free in those situations. Freedom comes from economic freedom, and economic freedom comes from X, Y, Z, socialist policy, Medicare for all, school for all, or college for all, jobs for all, and X, Y, Z thing listed as a right instead of what it really is, and it's not a right. And so they're changing that freedom is no longer freedom from oppression, freedom to live your own life. It's now freedom from the responsibility and the burden of being. And we really have to combat that. The left is twisting and distorting basic words, so freedom, justice, morality. That's where we need to be arguing. And so I hope conservatives out there get out of that rhetoric of the, the small microeconomic terms, talk about minimum wage and stuff. Talk more about the justice, the freedom, the morality that comes with capitalism and American values. Yes, uh, I, I take it one step further. Capitalism uh, is a is a place where you can sit, uh, create wealth to pay for your mistakes. Because when you're in business, you make mistakes, and if you can't fund your way out of the mistake to correct your mistake, change your business plan, change employees, uh, fire one, hire one, bring in a new product line that might suit you better, or what you see now with businesses that were under coronavirus quarantine, they started manufacturing stuff that the society needed, like you know fabric companies making you know dress and men's clothing turning into aprons and surgical gear. You have to be able to fund that change. And for me, that's capitalism, the ability to redeem yourself, the ability to correct your mistakes and fund it. And the, the left, what they succeeded at doing was creating the third largest economy in the world. And I would like for you all to repeat this statement that the what you have to ask, how did the progressives win our hearts over these last hundred years? And I believe it started in, in, in 1912, so I believe it ended in 2012. And I don't like people talking about progressism when it died. It died when the Tea Party stood up and fought against Obamacare and, and failed. But we stood up, and there's been a, a seismic shift since 2012 that brought us Trump in 16. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, Barack Obama uh, created this scenario where we finally can turn the corner and realize how bad it could get. And he definitely... Gen uh, demonstrated that he could clog up a healthcare system with so much regulations that a person like me with insurance who just got out of the hospital over a health issue of strokes, I'm hit with a $30,000 bill for two days in a hospital. That's insane. And I had insurance. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have Obamacare insurance. I had expensive, normal private insurance with high deductibles. Well, guess what? I haven't found out exactly why I'm paying more than my insurance company is. Because quite frankly, since I suffered strokes, I don't want to be aggravated right now. I'm only a couple uh, 
you know, a couple of weeks away from uh, this happening to me. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that I'm talking to you on the, on the radio without the slur that I think I'd rather concentrate on that. But I saw this coming that when we were, you know, we were uh, in, uh, in Tea Party world and I always wonder how long the Tea Party would last, how long could we stay together as a Tea Party. And I was very proud to be an American uh, of Cuban descent in the Tea Party because I didn't like that the press was calling us an all-white group. And we weren't. We had blacks. We had Hispanics in our Tea Party rallies. And now I'm involved with the uh, Convention of States, Article 5, uh, you know, uh, altering the Constitution without without the need for Congress. And... Um, I really uh, have to understand that a lot of what we're hearing and seeing right now is blatant socialism, and I don't. Nobody can change that definition for me because I, I, you know, I grew up knowing it really well, and I don't have a fear of calling it what I believe it is. It's communism. It just doesn't have the Joint Chiefs of Staff. <laughs> That's the only difference. It doesn't have the military backing of it like Castro would have, or Maduro would have, or the Chinese have. They actually have the, the tank, you know? So it's the mentality is all the same. But one thing I want you guys to understand is that the only situation in the world where the first and third largest economies in the world are both in the United States. The largest economy in the world is, is the American economy. The second largest is not really debatable, China. You can ask a Chinese person, he might say China's number one and, number, and America number two. But what people don't understand is number three is not Japan. And it's not India. It's your U.S. government all by itself in its assets and what it purchases and what it has in payroll. And it's around, it's around $7.5 trillion to $8 trillion, depending on whether you believe the economy is $21 trillion or $22 trillion. I mean, what's a, what's a trillion mean, you know? So... At seven a seven point five or eight trillion dollars of U.S. government activity ecosystem, you know, economic activity that is part of the twenty-two trillion total economy, that comes out to seven and a half or so. Well, guess what? That's two trillion larger than the entire Japanese economy. Think about that. And if you young people can understand that the reason why the left acts the way it does, it's to get the money based on population. In other words, the United States government hands out federal tax dollars to states based on population that could be legal and illegal so they know that once you have that's why they talk so much about the census and the census and they want illegals and illegals because the money's there and notice what they're doing now they're trying to get uh us to pay for their 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 mishaps you know there was a stat just recently that uh, the two populous states of texas and florida have balanced budget and the two second uh more popular states uh, of course, California being larger and New York being a little bit smaller than Florida, they're, they're both in the billions in red, and you know, in the red, they're broke. And I'm, so, I feel so sorry for you because my generation screwed your generation, and my generation doesn't doesn't have the appetite or the intellect to save you. And you guys are looking down at your phones. So I don't know if you realize you have to save yourself. Well, I think you brought up a really great point with talking about the, uh, the health care situation, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, the left really does advocate for socialism by calling capitalism in our current system immoral. So they really do claim the moral high road on this. And what I 
talk about a lot is there's three really big issues that our generation cares about, and the left is using them in different ways to advocate for their platform. And so I think with climate change, they're definitely using climate change as the Trojan horse to implement socialism. They want to seize means of production and nationalize the energy uh, industry. They want to nationalize the utilities industry. Bernie Sanders specifically called for this in October 2019 and beyond. And when it comes to health care, this is really their element of calling for immorality in the current system. And they're using this to say that health care is a right and the current system is a drag. I completely agree. When you hear people's stories like you, I'm so glad you've recovered. I'm, I'm really glad, but I feel terrible for you and what you're dealing with now because our health care system is broken. And it makes young people look at the current system and think we need a change. We need a drastic change. And that's what AOC promises, a bold new Yeah, just, change. I mean, the change is new fine. Change. But just not government change, like Giuliani said. That's what they want, yeah. <laughs> Giuliani said, yeah, we want change too, but what kind of change? Not government change. We don't want government. And I, yeah. my experience, by the way, has another part to it. I suffered three I suffered three strokes, and I was under a lot of stress because I had been living, uh, taking care of my mom with Alzheimer's for about six years. So it was towards the end of her days, and she did pass away on the 27th of April. But uh, that, that stress... Uh, amounted to two strokes at where I was sent to my logical closest uh, private hospital. And the private hospital so far has only billed me 18000 of which I'm paying 6000 which is my high deductible. And the only way for me to even have this insurance is that I had to accept the high deductible because it went from 700 bucks to 1700 bucks just because I lost my, my gallbladder and my appendix 20 years ago. So I imagine that story everywhere. And, you know, I'm a small business owner, so, you know, I have to take the blunt. Um, I have my father's diabetes, and then recently I realized I had my mother's hypertension. But to, for me to be 17 days in a private hospital at 18000 and then get shellacked 30000 for a weekend at the government hospital because it was the third stroke, so the ambulance insisted I go there, uh, it's really, really, really what killed the economy. And by Trump getting rid of so much Obamacare regulations and the individual mandate, the, 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 the economy took off. But guess what? You think the private companies that were insurance me, insuring me started lowering my rates and lowering the deductibles? No. They got what they wanted. That's why they were so quiet supporting Obama, because they knew that your generation was going to feel threatened to get insurance on the exchange, and my generation was just going to keep on paying more because they can't stand not having insurance. So in the end, the insurance companies got what they wanted. They got 30 million people that weren't paying for health care. 20-something of them now are paying. So there's still about, well, Bernie actually said in a debate there was the same 25 is still not paying, just paying the fine, which validates that Obamacare failed. Failed your generation and failed my generation. But we, don't, we didn't make enough of it. You know, why didn't we jump all over that? You know, why didn't we talk about that all the time? Trump is not going to talk about it. He's running his, his presidency. But we fail because we don't want to talk about the, continue to talk about the failure of Obamacare. We, we think we already got it beaten by getting rid of the individual mandate. No, the exchanges are there. The, the, two, bu the two budgets, uh, three budgets that Trump signed were so gargantuan that then all the, all the uh, monies to keep it operating is still in our budgets. It makes Obama still popular to people who didn't have insurance until they get sick. And it's very sad because you, you buy this exchange. Uh, I know a couple of waitress, waitresses 
who are on the exchange, and when they get sick, it's no fun. They don't know their doctor. They, they have to decide where they're going to go see somebody. Um, but yeah, they have cheap x-rays, uh, but that's about it. After that, they have to go to a specific pharmacy to get their medicines, not the one closest by, not the CVS. They have to actually go to a private-type pharmacy. What kind of racket is that? You know, There's so many things that are going on, and there's also a long waiting list you know, to see the doctor and the specialist. I go, I go through that as well. I go to University of Miami, and since I have my diabetes, you know when my next appointment is? Late June. And I went to, I went to, had a virtual appointment in April. So, you know, hello. I mean, these are real realities that I can, I can imagine how awful it's going to be for your generation, you know, 20 years from now when they're my age getting sick and, and healthcare has gotten even worse. And uh, we've had, we've had guests here on this show call us in like you are to tell us for different solutions and I pose this to you, and I pose this, I pose this to them, and I think you guys are going to have to fight to fight in court. There has to be a legal, legitimate reason for a deductible. They say it's fraud. In other words, you know, the people actually go get health care when they don't need it. I find that to be such a terrible argument, because fraud does exist when it has to do with car, you know, wreck your car on purpose, scratch your car on purpose. Uh, uh, fake uh, a leak in your roof, fake some renovation in your house that was actually caused by damage instead of, you know, because you wanted a new kitchen or you wanted a new bathroom. Okay, I understand a deductible for property insurance, but there can't not be a deductible for health insurance because you can't fake sickness and disease. You either are sick or you're not sick, and it's provable through science and... uh, you just can't have a deductible. And I pose it to the big shot insurance people, and I think you all have to start repeating it because, again, we're not going to be able to save you. You all have to make a legal case and a legal protest about the illegality of health care ins- uh, deductibles. That's where the problem is. These actuaries who work in the industry have convinced actuaries that work in the government in the healthcare business that this, the baseline has to have a deductible. It does not. You're paying a premium. The risk is the risk. If you don't, can't handle the risk, stay out of the kitchen. I guarantee you there's an insurance company, a hedge fund, a, uh, some large monies that will enter the insurance space without a deductible for an appropriate premium and be done with it. It's the deductible is the problem with healthcare. It crushes people. It bankrupts people. It hurts people. And in the meantime, you're paying the monthly premium. I agree. And I I think what will move forward is small uh, opportunities for us to reduce the cost, because that's that's why the left is so successful. Same thing with the college debt, the student loan debt. They act like the issue is who pays for it, not uh, how much it costs and the fact that we're being overcharged. And so I think with health care, transparency and pricing is going to be huge. And same thing with uh, college debt. What they say is, oh, it'll be better if the government pays for it than if everybody had free college. That doesn't reduce the cost. It doesn't reduce the fact that... No, it's done the opposite. 
are charging us out the wazoo. And so yeah, it's, it's because the government gives away the grants. About these issues, yeah, and I think the more conservatives talk about these issues and show we actually care about them, it will be more successful. Because right now, I think the conservatives, especially with health care, we've left this void. We don't talk about it. We don't offer solutions. We don't acknowledge that people are suffering enough. I think I think some people do, but it's not to the extent that's needed. And if we did, we would fill that void and not allow the left to just fill it in with a bunch of free promises. Yes, uh, the biggest problem that we have in cost in healthcare is, aside from what I said about the deductible, there's no price list, you know, publicly stated in the lobby of a hospital of what everything costs. And I understand that the list is large, you know, there's a lot of different uh, uh, costs, but man, the basic costs, MRIs, CAT scans, x-rays, antibiotics, the first visit, the second visit, uh, an IV put in your body— these price lists have to be stated, and you should feel free to shop before you go into the hospital, right? Well, guess what? Today, I'm refreshed. I'm reminded of it because I wrote a, I wrote a, a chapter in a book about healthcare, and from a layman's terms, obviously, and they you only you, the hospital only makes money based on what your particular policy is willing to pay for for a particular act. Once you switch that, it's the only industry in the world there isn't a price list. In other words, the guy next to me at the government hospital, he was an illegal, he didn't pay, he said so out loud, and we both had strokes, okay? He was more or less my age, he was like late 40s, I'm, you know, I'm early 50s. Well, actually, I'm lying. I'm 55, so I'm, I stay in my lane, I drive the speed limit, but I'm right in the middle there, right? Well, he and I were, he paid zero for his MRI, and I paid 6000 bucks for three MRIs, okay? It's because my insurance was was willing to pay the, uh, what, uh, divide by three. They were, they were willing to pay within my policy how much I was charged for an MRI, whereas he didn't have to pay anything at all. Now, if he had a cheap Obamacare insurance on the exchange, he would have probably paid maybe 250 bucks for that MRI, and I would be paying 1000 dollars for my MRI. See, so the insurance company determines it's how much you can get from the insurance company is what the hospital charges. And you'll see it after the fact on your bill, but your insurance company's already paid. It's whatever they're going to pay. So you got to correct that too. You guys got to demand that the costs are out in the, in the public so that the hospitals have to compete, not the insurance companies. Because the insurance company, once they win your heart through the, through the two or three plans your employer offers you or you go shopping, they got you for good. Because now you're just worried about staying healthy. And therefore, you're not competing. You, you could care less what the price is. You just pay that monthly, and you're deductible monthly, and you're deductible. And you really don't think about anything else. Well, guess what? I'm being surprised right now with, I haven't found out the answer. I am hoping it's a mistake. But they're asking me for 18000 and my insurance paid 14000 And, sorry, they're asking, no, they paid 14000 Yeah, fourteen and eighteen. And that's what I, that's what I, that's I'm on the hook right now. I'm on the hook for $18,000 and the bill arrived like three or four days ago. So, hey, I thought Obama fixed this. Well, I knew he wasn't going to. Now you know, we're here on the air. You're going to be able to go to my website uh, this time tomorrow, wsqfradio.com, and you'll be able to uh, get uh, a recording of our interview today. And you're, you're free to share it because I'll, I'll have the, the files compressed for you. So you'll see a little share button there and everything. And uh, 
you know, onward. I, I can't admire you enough for what you're doing. And, um, you know, it's only 2019 when you started, so the fun's just begun, I suppose. Absolutely. Well, we just, I, Monday is the day where we have all of our calls, everybody on the team, and we were just talking about how excited we are for the future. And I don't know if you know Saul Alinsky, his rules for radical. Oh, my God. And one of his rules is, you know, the team is going to win who has the most fun doing what they do. And I think our team, we really enjoy doing this. It's, it's definitely a fight for the future of the country, and we're just happy to be at the front of it, and we're happy to be involved. I would hate to be just sitting by watching all this happen and watching our country being brought down by socialists. So we're all really excited, and we just can't, to wait, can't wait to make even more videos. And thank you for having me on to tell everybody about it. I hope if anybody out there has a story that they'd be interested in telling, anybody in Florida, all of your listeners, we'd be happy to come down to Florida again and, and film some stories and put them out for young people to learn from. Well, thank you very much, and it was really appreciated having you. And I'm, I'm hoping you'll call again here to the Concrete Conservatives on Blink Radio. Keep us game. Thank you so much. Take care. There you have it. There's hope in our country. There's hope. My God, there's hope. The younger generation's waking up. I was worried for a long time. You know, my kids are 30 and 18. The 30-year-old has definitely pleased me by voting Republican, and he practices law, so he knows how rigged the system is against a lot of people. And uh, he realized that there's a fix in the system that that uh, uh, the same case, the same parameters can code two different ways. And he's representing the same motive, same position, just different clients. And they, he doesn't, he, he, he gets it that the system is uh, stacked against one client over the other. And yet it's the same, it's the same situations. My little, well, my little one, who's not little anymore, she, I even think she's taller than me, she's 18, and she's getting it. She's not liberal, thank God. She's been through the school system, public school system, um, very predictable what I could say about the public school system, and she could see it for herself. And uh, it's a situation that's very daunting, but what's so important is that, you know, Trump the Magnificent has come to town. I personally was a Ted Cruiser because I was— a uh, bona fide conservative in every way possible. I don't believe in, you know, right-wing extremists or something like that. You're either conservative or you're not conservative. If you're not conservative, don't call yourself a Republican. We have way too many rhinos in our party that just sell out because they don't want the good fight because they'd rather be elected and reelected. So if you're, there's no such thing as right-wing. And when you talk about neoconservative, you talk about those who want to go to war, that's still not right wing. That's just conservative. They, they, they want to defend the country. What When you talk about fascists or right wing fascists or Hitler and that kind of stuff, that isn't Republican either because Hitler was a fascist, communist, a socialist. His German party said so. It was a Nationalist Socialist Party of Germany. He was a communist socialist. He hid behind the hatred for the Jew to get elected because there was some hyperinflation going on in his country, and uh, he knew that there was angst about the economy, but had nothing to do with the Jews, had nothing to do with the Jewish people. It just created the nationalism of his time. But he was a totalitarian. All these people, all these lefties, all these statists, all these liberals, they are parties of government. And parties of government are a lot more alike in, in line with communism than free market capitalists. Notice China, a completely 
state capitalist economy being compared to the free market economy of the United States, and they're having their way with us. It is the very left, the very left, the very Wall Street left who supported all the FDR programs, all the Great Society programs of LBJ, all the welfare, the Obamacare, everything, are the really magnanimous wealthy people in the Democratic Party who have maybe, maybe uh, in great uh, quantities have converted to the Independent Party, you know, basically voting in very few states' primaries, but chose to be independent because they're embarrassed by what had become of them as Democrats. All these people, all these wealthy people that own the public relations companies, the advertising agency, the hedge fund managers, the actual owners of enterprise, if you look at the Fortune 500, you'll see the vast majority are lefty liberals. And guess what? They're the ones that took the jobs to communist China for manufacturing. They're the ones that want that market really bad. They're the ones that have contributed to the World Health Organization. Everybody talks about the United States, you know, writing the big old check, $450 million, Trump said this morning or this afternoon. And what about the private donations? What about all those Europeans that are socialists? All those people are dying to sell their stuff in China, manufactured in China, stuff that they would send here. What happens? This question that I have all the time. What happens, America, when our 85 to 90 million that are said to be in the middle class have the same buying power of the 320 million Chinese? What happens when those Chinese people have the same buying power as us? Hyperinflation. We will continue manufacturing over there our domestic products and will only send back to the United States for the domestic consumption at very high prices for the hell of it, just because it's just uh, 90 million people market. Meanwhile, they'll have 320 million people in the middle class over there that will be growing at 3, 4, 5% as ours used to grow in the middle class. At 320, you're talking about money, man. You're talking about six million, six million people growing every year into the middle class. That's what the left wants in this country. They want the Chinese market, books, medicines, goods, cars, computers, Apple. Apple, you know, sells more iPhones in China than they do here, and they manufacture them over there. Think about what we've done, America. It's been the left. And you hokey-tokey rhino Republicans who have swallowed debate and acquiesced with them, shame on you. Because like she admitted today on the phone conversation, young people against socialism, she, she understands how they play with the words. I meant to say, and I think I forgot to say it to her, was that what the progressives actually did with education was turn greed and profit and made them synonymous. Turn something so ugly as greed and somehow associated with corporate profit and making corporations immoral. If corporations are immoral, then why is it that we can stop doing business with one or two of them, three of them, five of them, ten of them, and put them out of business? If it's so immoral. Government is immoral, right? Because when they exceed their power, take too much from us in taxes, 
uh, quarantine us way too long, shut down our businesses, give us fines. We have to go up against their tanks. We can't just stop doing business with them because we are them. We created them. Their power comes from us. And when they exceed their power and they think their rights came from the Constitution, they are wrong. It does not. Nothing in the Constitution gives government any kind of right. Zero. It's a negative document of a list of limiting limiting beliefs of what you can't do to me as a government. Because I have rights that was bestowed to me by God way before I created this government. And it's clear as day. Furthermore, not only is it really clear as day, but they created the civil rights. Okay, 10 more. After they wrote the Constitution, that was already a list of limited rights by the government, limited amount of uh, limitations for the government against its people, but they just added another 10 to make sure that it's understood. It's a list of limitations. So where does the government have the right to do any of the things they're doing, keeping you and I from going to church, keeping you and I from opening up our business? I'm willing to accept manners, like imposed manners, like a mask. Wear a mask so that you don't infect someone else. We have a tendency to believe that the wearing of the mask is to keep, you know, someone spitting on us, coughing on us, and catching it ourselves from someone else. Okay, you can say that all you want, but there's all kinds of scientific uh, tests and results that say that none of the materials that we're wearing on our faces really prevents the microns, the little tiny organisms of the virus. You know, the virus is molecular and tiny, tiny, tiny. That penetrates those paper masks, the cloths masks, all the fancy masks. And, uh, you know, and meanwhile, we have the argument about, you know, hydroxychloroquine. And the president said it today. I'm on it. I'm on it for a week and a half or so. And doctors are flipping out. They're flipping out. They're going on the, on the media trying to discourage us from even consider taking, you know, hydrochloroquine. And the president just said, I've been taking it for a week and a half or so. And lo and behold, he decides to say it today that a potential vaccine is coming out on the market that's, uh, that just came out and the, and the company did really well. So did he time it for today, like create a buzz? Or did he, did he drop the bomb today because the vaccine's in the news? Pretty cool. The guy is... He's a, he's a freaking Moses. He's got this out-of-nowhere feeling where he's just telling you flat out, whether you like it or not, it is what it is. Whether you find it rude or not, I could care less. He's allowed so many Obama appointees to stay at the West Wing. Just think of that alone. Leaking, acting like fools, taking headshots, and all he wanted to do the whole time was call it a hoax. Think about the, 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 the mustard... The, to muster the kind of self-esteem, the confidence, the, the ability to sleep at night, knowing the whole world's coming at you all at once. I mean, think about it. Think about a president that's willing to take on everybody all at once. There isn't a single institution out here that he hasn't taken on. And he does. And he's got young people like the Young Americans for Socialism all fired up and defending socialism like never before and doing videos like I had mentioned when I started the show today. This generation wants to see videos. They want to hear music. 
They want to hear jingles. Uh, they, they want to tell the story all through the visual. You know, the third generation from the invention of the television, it makes absolute sense. So I think the timing was fantastic, absolutely fantastic, that we are now in this situation where we've all turned the corner. And this generation could save itself because we definitely can save ourselves. So I'm going to head over to uh, leave you with some music and basically, hey, if, if, you're, if your doctor says take hydrochloroquine, it's your decision. Apparently, Trump is taking it. And uh, if you don't need it, don't take it. Leave it alone. But if you're sick or before you're, you're going to get sick, you want to ask your doctor about it? Hey, man, the concrete conservative says, give it your best shot. It's all about choice. At this point, we all need to get to work. We have choices, and the choices that we want are businesses and our livelihoods. If it wasn't about, if it was, a, if it was about humans, I would agree with you that we should just stay quarantined. But it's about country. It's about economy. It's about jobs. It's about providing for your children, for your family, much more than it is about human life. Harsh to say it's true, but if it was about life over country and country and society, then we would have made cars that only went maximum 55 miles an hour. It's obvious it's about choice. The reason why we buy cars that can go up to 120 miles an hour, sometimes 150 miles an hour, is because it would sell, regardless of the likelihood that it could kill somebody, and innocent people by that fact. Why is it that we buy cars that can go faster than the speed limit, knowing it could kill us? Because it's about us. It's not about human life. It's about choice. Life is about choices, not lessons. The lessons come and expose themselves to the irony of your choices. Stay free, my friends. I'll be back at 7 for Adam Levinson's Statues and Stories. WSQF 94.5. I got my mind set on you. I got my mind.